Thank you, Lord, for a chance to look into your word now. And as we look at a very familiar story that we've read and heard many, many times, I ask, Lord, that you'd give us new insight and new thoughts as we study together. And, Lord, may we see some things here that will help and encourage us as we live the truth of your gospel out in our town this week. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. When you think about David and Goliath, you think, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that when I was three or four, right? And uh, many times we have heard these things. Now, I just want to start kind of in a little different place because I think this this passage teaches us some really great truths. Um, and if you ever watched a photographer or a really good photographer work, you'll know that they're, they'll be at different angles. They're looking for different light. They're trying to see things from different places, different perspectives. And, and part of it is to be able to see whatever it is that they're trying to capture in different, with different eyes. Okay, so this is what it looks like in this kind of lighting, and this is what it looks like from this angle, and all of those kinds of things go into uh, what a good photographer does. And I was kind of been thinking about that in one sense. How we see things does impact um, what we think. Okay, how we see it impacts many times what we think. Let me show you this first picture. Now, if you saw this picture and uh, you knew what it was, you'd say, oh, yeah, that's the Sears or the Willis Tower in Chicago. And you're looking and saying, that's a pretty big tower. And so you would be thinking about that and thinking, okay, so I can see it. It's a big tower. If you go to this next site, you look at it from right below, and you're looking straight up, and you go, that's a really big tower. It just goes up and up. And then if you go to a third spot and look out, that's the glass shelf. I don't remember what story it's on. You can actually stand over the city of Chicago with nothing underneath your feet if you choose to do that. Three different perspectives. Three different views of the same thing, the Sears Tower. And so, you know, how you see it makes a difference in, in what you think about it. Okay, if you're up there on this floor and you're standing there looking down, you may be thinking, this is really scary. I'm not sure I want to stand on this little piece of glass. So there's that kind of thing going on. Um, so just, again, the whole thought of how we see, how we perceive, how we look at something will make a difference in how we uh, think about it and what we believe about it. Um, and again, look, think about that in, in the areas of faith. How we see something physically or how we see something that's happening around us. Uh, how we see the problems and the difficulties that we're going through can have an impact on what we believe. Okay, If I'm looking at the struggles that I'm going through and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is terrible, I'm all alone, nobody's with me, nobody understands how hard this is, this is... And, 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 and I've done that. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands. <clears throat> that perspective isn't going to take me anywhere but downward into just a mess of negative, negative thoughts and depression. If I see things through the eyes of what the world says many times, I'm heading in directions that may not be leading me into any kind of truth at all. So I have to be careful that I'm looking at the situation. But, but as I look at the situation, if I'm trying to say, okay, God, what am I supposed to think about these things that I'm going through? How am I supposed to evaluate what the struggle is here? Lord, would you help me to understand? I want to see it through your eyes. That's a whole different thing. And it puts a whole different uh, sense of what we can do about it 
on it as well. And I guess I just really want to help us to look at the contrast as we go through this passage, just be watching for it, of how Saul saw the situation and how David saw it. Two totally different perspectives, same thing. Okay, so let's jump into the scriptures. We're going to be in First Samuel 17. We're not going to hit every single verse, but we'll just kind of go through and hit some highlights as we head towards our applications. But verse 1 of 17 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. And so they pitched their camp and they got it all ready. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. So if you kind of get this picture in your mind, you got these armies that have been drawn together and now they're on the opposite sides of a valley down here and they're up on the high ground. In order to meet each other, they're going to have to go down into that valley to have that fight or do some other kind of circling around action. But it seemed like they were just there facing each other. And so, you know, they would have those... Camps down below a little bit and then up on the top of the ridges where they would stand to look at the enemy and to see what was going on. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistines' camp. And he was over nine feet tall. Some estimates put it around nine feet, nine feet and a half. Um, the weight, in our terms of what he was wearing, helmet was 15 pounds. The coat of mail was 125 pounds. And the spear tip of the spear that he carried was 15 pounds, okay? So this is this is a big guy to be able to just walk around at all with that kind of stuff on, much less fight a battle or a war. So that's what's going on. And Goliath is being described here. We need to get this in our heads. The way he's being described is the way Saul sees him, and he's being described as an invincible warrior. And this is a guy nobody can beat. That's what's being said. Seeing it through the eyes of Saul, well, this guy's nine and a half feet tall. This guy's got armor that's incredible. This guy's got weapons that are just beyond anything we have. He can take on whole groups of people without any help at all. That's the thinking, and that's what's going on in the heads of Saul and the people of Israel. So verse 8 then takes us to the point where... This is, I think, the trash talk maybe that's going on here as they stand across and insult each other, perhaps. And, and then, of course, Goliath has a chance to do even more of it. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of, of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me, and if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. <clears throat> And then, this is the important verse right here. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, remember the armies are lined up looking down at each other and he's out there making a speech. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed or deeply shaken and terrified. Okay. So that's why we get the picture of, of <clears throat> Goliath. That's who he is, and that's what he's all about. Now, what he's trying to suggest here, and this is interesting, because you would think if one army thought they could win this for sure, they wouldn't be putting this forth as an idea to do. So you don't put forward the idea of we're going to have two champions fight and let that winner decide who wins the war. If you can just trounce the enemy anyway, then you just go take over and do whatever you want to do with the enemy. 
And so for some reason, neither, well, Saul's side, we know they don't think they can win, but apparently the Philistines didn't think they could either. Um, something else enters in here. You remember when Saul was found and was crowned king, it says in 1 Samuel 10 that he stood head, and, head tall, head and shoulders over everybody in the nation, uh, head taller than all of the other people. The Israelites had no one like Goliath, but they had a king. A king who had done really well in many battles and in many wars until he turned away from God. And so now Saul, their king, who's bigger and stronger and taller than anybody else in the army, doesn't want to have anything to do with Goliath. He's the one that should be down there facing Goliath and, and getting on with things. And so you've got this whole idea of Saul who has turned away from God, and we saw that in chapter 15. So Saul and the army are deeply shaken and they're terrified. And then look at what the very next verse says. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Now it tells us then that Jesse had eight sons. Three of the sons were at war with Saul. And David was the youngest. And um, David was the youngest. And so he wanted to find out how things were going. So he says, take these things to your brothers and to the commander and all those others. And then... Verse 14, um, the three oldest, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. But David went back and forth every morning and evening um, <clears throat> and took his stand. Um, sorry, I got mixed up here. Let's go back to 14. David was the youngest. The three oldest sons followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, here's the critical part. For 40 days, the Philistine and that's Goliath, came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So you read it and you think, okay, so this is what's going on. David shows up and we see what happens. But this has been going on for 40 days. For 40 days they come out, they stand in lines, they yell at each other, and then Goliath comes out and challenges them and the Israelites all run away. That's what's been going on. So Dad sends David down there. Now remember, in chapter 15, Saul is rejected by God Chapter 16, David is anointed king of Israel. Now, he doesn't become king yet, but he's the next one. Samuel anoints him. And in that same chapter is where we discover that Saul has the problem with being troubled by evil spirits. And so they find David, who's a harpist, to come and play for King Saul. So that explains that he going back and forth to the king. He would go to the palace and, and do what he needed to do for a time, and then he'd go back home. And so that's why David was going back and forth from uh, to Saul. Now, verse seventeen is the David or Jesse's instructions to David. He said, "I want you to take the stuff." And then down in verse eighteen, the last half says, "See how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance from them." He's saying, "I want to hear how the battle's going. I want to hear that it's going well. I want to hear about the victory." That's what he wants to know. He's got three sons in the army. He wants to make sure it's going okay with them. So David takes off early the next day. Um, in verse 20, he reached the camp of the army, was going out to its battle position. So he got there just as they were doing this morning thing where they would, and they did it twice a day apparently. They'd go up there and they were, you know, looking out. And so he gets there just as that's happening. And um, they're drawing their lines, they're facing each other. And then <clears throat> David goes running out. He greets his brothers and as he's talking with his brothers, verse 23, um, here comes Goliath. And he stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. 
When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So for 40 days, this has been going on, you know, they see him, he shouts the challenge, and nothing is going to change at this point. Nobody that's been there for 40 days and run every time is going to stop running and go after this guy. It's just not happening. Okay, so so anyway, here now David's there, and he's asked the question, what's going on here? And um, a little bit later, then the king, you know, he says, what's going to happen? <clears throat> um, what will the king give to the man who kills this particular giant that's out there for us? And uh, he's going to give him wealth, he's going to give him his daughter in marriage, and he's going to give his family no taxes. Now, that'd be kind of a good part, wouldn't it? No taxes. And so that's going to be part of what the what the prize is. And um, so David asked the men, "What will be done for him?" And that's what's going to be done. And and um, he says, "The one who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel." David sees what's happening, and he says, "This is a disgrace." We have the God of the universe on our side. We have the God of Israel on our side. We have the Lord of hosts on our side. What in the world are we running for? Why are we running from one big guy? And that's what's going on in David's mind. He's thinking about God in this whole process. And he's hearing the Philistine defy the armies of God. And so, finally, in verse 28, Eliab, David's brother... Uh, heard him speaking about these things to the other people. David's trying to get information, understand what's happening, what, what, what's being done about this. Is anybody going to try to take on the giant? He's, David's trying to figure all this stuff out. And so Eliab, in verse 28, comes, and he heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? Are you? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? So he's being very insulting and very, very angry at this point. Um, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to watch the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but at that point I'm going, what battle? There's no battle here. Right? I mean, it, what is he talking about? Anyway, so this is David's brother. Why is he mad? Why is he mad at David? Well, you remember when Saul, or, or when um, <clears throat> Samuel went to anoint David, he said, bring your sons in. And, and he brought in the oldest one. And he said, no, that's not the one. And he went down the line. All the, all the brothers that were not going to be king of Israel had been brought in and rejected. And then he said, don't you have any more? He said, yeah, the, one, the little guy, he's out watching the sheep. He'll bring him in. And I'm sure everybody's hanging around still. And the, he anoints David. So you got the oldest brother who's watched David be anointed. And now David comes to the front line. He's asking these kinds of questions. No wonder he's upset at this guy. I mean, really? You're going to try and tell us how to fight a war? Not that they're fighting. But, you know, who, who are you to tell us anything? And so that's kind of what's going on. I think this is, this is an older brother just being totally upset about the fact that he got overlooked. Uh, it's speculation on my part, but it makes sense. Now, this is what he's saying when he's saying you're, you're conceited and all these other things. Um, so verse 29 says, now, what have, David says, what have I done? I can't even speak. And then verse 31, David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Okay, so Saul, who knows David, 
Um, we don't know how often he went back and forth to play the harp, but he knows who he is. Um, <clears throat> here's that David is actually not like one of his soldiers that's out there just cowering in fear. David's interested in taking on this this giant. And so, um, you know, they bring him. He's the only person they've even had talk positively about that possibility. Um, it's interesting because David sees this whole thing really as as Goliath is defying God. And so because he's defying God, God's going to take care of this. David isn't thinking of himself as this amazing warrior who's going to go out and have, and have a best battle with, with Goliath and win because he's a better warrior. That's really not what's going on in David's head. David is thinking about the fact that God is the one who is being defied and God will save his own people. Um, <clears throat> so David comes before Saul, verse 32. Um, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go, and I will fight him. And Saul says, wait a minute here. You're only a boy. Now, this is an interesting statement here, too. Only a boy. And that makes us think that he's 10, 12, 13 years old. But if you go back to chapter 16, verse 18, David is described as a man of valor, a man of war. Okay, so there are possibilities. There's some some things having to do with the chronology or it could just be that what Saul is saying here is you know you're a youngster you don't have any kind of experience there's no way you can go out to battle I mean I'm a hardened warrior myself and I don't want to take on this guy how could you who hasn't really been in the army yet do this and so he calls him a boy I think for that very reason and of course David talks about killing the lion and the bear that came against his flock Verse 36, he says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. Isn't that incredible? He's basically saying, this is God's deal. He's defied our country. He's defied the nation, the chosen people of God. And then he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, this is, I love this, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And again, he's not saying, I can do this. I've got it. I've got special tricks up my sleeve. I can do things nobody else can do. David is trusting the fact that God is going to be the deliverer. God is the one who's going to say, this is what's going to happen, and, and it will as a result of that. So at that point, you remember the story, uh, you know, Saul says, all right, well, at least let's get some armor on you. And they try to put armor on David, and... And David finally says, you know what? No, I, I don't need all that stuff. I didn't need it when I was up, went up against the lion. I don't need it when I, went, when I went up against the bear. And so he takes his normal clothes, shepherd attire. In verse 40, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag with a sling in his hand. He approached the Philistine. Now, let's go ahead and put that first picture up there. Ever wonder what it looks like, the stones that they used in slings? This is one. They have found thousands of them in Israel where they were by the walls of cities where they had been used in battle. And there's, in some cases, piles of these little round stones. And someone could sling those stones if they were really good at it. And there were many Israelites that were at that point. And they could go a long distance further than any arrows. And they could strike with a force that was incredible. Some people, they have actually, they still have slingers in the world today. I'll go ahead and put that next one up there. This is a guy from South America who does it. But um, there are championships even. And some of these guys can sling a stone at almost 100 miles an hour. 
Okay, so imagine a one-pound rock hitting Goliath in the head at 100 miles an hour. Of course he dropped over dead. I mean, that anybody would drop over dead. No armor in the world is going to be able to put up with that. Um, and so again, this is one of those things where as you get a sense of, okay, so David's going to go up against this giant, but all, and all he's got is a sling. Well, he, you know, David had been practicing as a shepherd for quite a while with that sling, and he knew what he was doing with that sling, and he knew that if he hit Goliath just below the armor helmet, that would be the end for Goliath, and that's what he was trying to do. So... Verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David, and he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, and he was at that point carrying a stick in his bag and maybe a sling um, in his hand, <clears throat> and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, isn't it interesting, when God called Abraham to, to, to out of the land of Ur to the promised land and then promised him that he'd be a nation, one of the statements in all of those promises that he made was, I will curse those who curse you. And what did Goliath just do? He cursed David. So it's not going to look good for Goliath here pretty quick. And, it, and there's all of these things when you look at him. And, you know, God said, I'm going, to, I'm going to protect you. And so David is counting on that. In 445, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord God of hosts, the one who's in charge of all of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel whom you have defied. I'm not coming in my own name. You're coming in the name of the Philistines and in the name of whatever, but I'm coming to you in the name of the God Almighty. And um, one of those interesting statements that David makes. Now, here's a quote that I came across. Goliath came out to battle in his own name, and David came to battle in the name of the Lord of all the armies of heaven. And I just, I just love that contrast. You've got Goliath, and then you've got David. In verse 46, David continues, and again, this must be where they got close enough to actually start doing stuff, and now they're just throwing insults back and forth on one level. They're just kind of, again, doing that talk. And and um, David says this, This is the day that the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down, cut off your head, and today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds. So he, David knows this is a whole lot more than just Goliath. This is the Philistine army we're going to have to take on as well. And he says, we're going to, you know, all the world are going to know that there is a God in Israel. And all those that are gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. And this is a powerful statement. So David is not saying, hey, you know, I'm stronger, more powerful, I can do this, I've got tricks up my sleeve you don't know about. David is saying, it is, <clears throat> it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Important word here. David said, <clears throat> no. I, <laughs> the whole world will know. And let's go ahead and put that up there, David. Thanks, Tim. To understand, to grasp, to be certain, and this is what David was certain of, who God is and what God could do. He's the Lord and God of all of heaven's armies, and he can do anything he chooses to do including flattening this 
huge guy in front of me and making all of the Philistines run. And so David is convinced this is who God is and this is what he can do. And um, verse 48 then, as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly forward um, to the battle line to meet him. Here, just just a couple of quotes that I found really interesting. With no armor or fear weighing him down, trusting God and God alone, David ran to meet Goliath. That's cool. And he could only do that because he was trusting God. And because he had enough trust in the God who he had seen do incredible things and, and had heard all of the things that God had done, David grew up hearing about the people coming out of Egypt and heard about the miracles and heard about the wonders of the times of Joshua and all of those things. And so David says, hey, I'm trusting that God and, and God alone. And he moves forward. So there's, here's the contrast for you. Um, Saul full of fear, avoided and hid from Goliath for 40 days and led the army to do the same thing for 40 days. David, full of faith, fully trusting God, runs towards Goliath. And he doesn't do it because he thinks he's better than anybody. He doesn't do it because of any reason other than the fact that he says, God's got this. God has already got this. I don't have to worry about how this is going to happen. God's got this. So he runs towards the giant, towards Goliath, and in verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Now, I'm going to show you, and when I first heard about the slings and this kind of stuff when I was younger, I thought, well, yeah, it says it in the Bible, I believe it, but I didn't know much about it. And as I've gotten older, I've done some research on slings. And by the way, there's an actual national champ- uh, international championship of people who sling like that. Here is a picture of somebody that won it. And they're doing this test to see if someone could actually hit a spot like that on Goliath's forehead. Okay? It's from the History Channel. Go ahead, Tim. Luis readies his sling for the test. The target- Please turn it up. Hey, let's, let's go ahead and back up again so we can hear what they're saying. Okay. Luis readies his sling for the test. The target is tiny, equivalent to the only area of Goliath's forehead that was not protected by armor. Not a bad shot. (laughs) And if that's what David did, with that kind of force... And that, they actually measured the force. You can go to the next slide, Tim. That's fine. <clears throat> that just shows that the impact of that could literally sink into the, the bone in someone's skull. No problem at all. So if you've ever wondered what that might have looked like, that's what it would have looked like. David slinging the stone, hitting the giant, and it's it. It slides out at that point. So at that point, 51, David ran over to him took the Philistine's own sword because he didn't have one of his own and since he was already dead he went ahead and made sure by cutting off his head at that point and of course at that point the Philistine army saw that their hero was dead they took off and ran the Jewish army chased them behind and there were people left behind all the way to they got back to their own walled cities 
So that's the story of David and Goliath. Okay, now there's some lessons there along the way. I think for me, the, the takeaway that I had was the biggest thing was to see that David saw the same situation differently than the way Saul saw it. David came, he saw Goliath, and he said, God can do this. Saul had been watching this thing for 40 days and going and hiding because he didn't want to deal with it. Saul saw Goliath as something he couldn't handle. David saw Goliath as something God could handle. And there's a huge difference. Again, there's that huge, huge contrast as a result of that. So Saul, as king, had been victorious in many, many battles and and fights. And yet, things had changed. God rejected him. He no longer saw Samuel. Samuel wasn't there. And uh, he saw Goliath as this unbeatable giant, and he was paralyzed by fear. And I think if you've ever been really, really, really scared of something, then that's exactly what what Saul was feeling. Maybe Saul was what ifing. You know what what ifing is? Well, what if I go face Goliath and what if he comes at me with his huge spear and what if I try to hit him with my sword and I miss or it bounces off his armor? What if he knocks me down and I can't get up? What if what if he kills me? It's going through Saul's mind and he already believes Goliath is invincible. And so Saul is seeing everything through the eyes of fear, and, and he has absolutely no confidence in God because God's already rejected him. There's no belief that God's going to step into this because, you know, Samuel's not around, and all that stuff for, for Saul is going through his mind. And so every day that they went out and heard this challenge from Goliath, and every day that they listened to it and ran was making it easier for the next day for them to run for them to back away and not face this hard and difficult thing. And so as he was paralyzed with fear, that the soldiers took their cue from him and they were paralyzed with fear. And again, they were seeing the giant, they weren't seeing God. And that's the different perspective that David brought. That was the incredible thing. Because into the bleak and dark and hopeless picture where every single day they line up for battle and every single day they run, David comes. David comes. And the most important thing about David was his confidence in God, his complete trust in God. He was trusting God and the promises of God. He didn't see this giant in the Philistines as some invincible thing. He he, he was remembering that he had heard the stories of coming out of Egypt, and he was remembering what he had been taught about Joshua and all the battles that they fought in the nation. And so he's, he's understanding that God is real, and God can help, and God will do something. And so he saw the enemy of of God and was trusting God to do what only God could do. David says, I can't beat this guy. I can't take on the Philistine army. We don't have enough people to to kill this guy in the army. But God can handle it. God's got this. And so David knew that he couldn't, but he also knew that God could. And uh, I think sometimes one of the things that's, that we, we all struggle with is we think we have to do things, and, and there are many times we have to step forward and, and, and put our strength and energy and our resolve into something, but we are never alone, and that's the part that we forget. I think the part that we forget is the fact that when we are moving forward in the direction God is leading, even if it doesn't feel like it, we have God's presence with us. We have the Holy Spirit giving us the strength for the next step. 
And if we're going through some struggles and some hard things, we can honestly say, God, I don't understand. I don't feel you. I don't know what's going on. But I, I, I from your word and from what I sense in your leading, it's this that I need to do. Please give me the strength to take that next step. And then the next one. I love the fact that David knew he couldn't stand against Goliath, but he knew that God could. And no matter what we face in our lives, whatever struggles they are, we may not be able to handle them. That's okay. God can. God can handle those things. And we may think and say, oh, well, yeah, that's that's David. I mean, he's the king of Israel, and, you know, everything's different because of him. That's David, you know. The reality is David had to face his own fears in all of this. He was not someone with no brains. He could see, hey, you know, I'm maybe five foot something, and he's, you know, two and a half feet taller. Look at the size of that spear. So it wasn't that David had no, it didn't see the, the what was before him and, and wonder. It's just that as he saw all of that, yeah, this is a formidable opponent. This is someone who could kill me in a heartbeat. He also believed that God would intervene. That was the whole point of what he was saying. David had those fears, and yet he faced the fears and said, Okay, God, I'm doing this because I I believe this is what you want me to do. And so based on your reputation, God, and based on the fact that I want to stop this guy from saying the things he's saying because it's your reputation that's at stake here, I'm moving forward and trusting you. I remember um, many years ago, I, I was on a team of people. We were going on a missions trip somewhere, and... And we did a high ropes course. And if you've ever done those kinds of things, I've always kind of enjoyed that kind of thing. But it's it's a long ways off the ground most of the time, you know, 30, 40 feet up. And so we're we're doing all these things. And I got up there, and of course you've got the harness, and you've got the things that you hook onto the cables. And, and we're doing different activities. We get to a place where there's a just a kind of a, a ledge, and then there's a huge gap, and then there's another ledge on the other side. And and uh, we were supposed to try to jump across that. And and um, I was a lot younger then, and I was able to make the jump. I got the other side, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. And then the guy said, hey, that's really good, Mark. Turn around. I said, okay. He said, now I want you to jump back, but close your eyes. And I thought, you got to be crazy. You know, I mean, I did this once already. Why do I have to do it that way? And, and, and you know, the point that he was trying to make was, do you trust me? Do you trust your equipment? Do you trust those cables? Because he had, he had absolute certainty I wasn't making that jump with my eyes closed. So anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, do I trust those things? Do I believe I can do this? Probably not. But do I need to try? Yeah, I need to try. And so I jumped, and sure enough, the cables held, and you know, I was able to get back to where I was, was going for safety. But I tell you that not because it was, it, was, it was this amazing, spectacular thing. I mean, on one level, I didn't do what I really wanted to do, which was make and complete the jump with my eyes closed. We had another guy on the team who was so, so afraid of heights that standing on a chair made him very, very nervous and upset. Okay, that's, that's how fearful he was. And he got there, and, and uh, for me, facing my fear was saying, okay, did the cables hold? Am I going to go ahead and jump, knowing that probably I'm going to fall? For him, it was, how far up this ladder am I willing to try to go? And nobody was forcing him to do this. This was something that he wanted to do as he was facing some of the things he was struggling with. And so he climbed up the ladder to the platform where everything started. And he sat on that platform and just kind of sat there and, um, and then went back down. 
And, and as I looked at both of those things, Mike went ahead and did what he could do. But again, there's a strong emphasis on, okay, we're, we're going to encourage each other, but we're also trusting God and the things that we're doing. And he was praying all the way up the ladder. Because he really did want to go up that ladder and, and, and just sit there. And same thing for me. I'm thinking, okay, God, I really want to make this jump, but please take care of me if I don't. Okay. And so this, that whole thing of we all face different kinds of fears. We don't all have a Goliath. You know, we may have a whole bunch of little things that just add up and feel like a whole lot of things. In our walk with God at different times in our lives, we're going to face hard things. We just will. That's part of walking the Christian life. The good news is that we never, ever have to face those things alone. And one of the kings that we're going to study a little bit later as we get through, go on in this study, is Jehoshaphat. And, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at the time. And, and, and you hear some really amazing prayers from him. And the reason for that was that there were three armies coming towards Jerusalem and they wanted to destroy the people of Israel. And he didn't have any hope. He knew the army they had couldn't do anything. And so he was praying and praying and, and the people were praying. And this is his prayer in Second Chronicles 20 verse 12. For we have no power to face this vast army. We can't do this, God. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but when you know you need to make a decision or you need to do something, you're saying, God, I don't have a clue. Oh, that's okay. It's a good prayer to prayer. Lord, I don't know. And then keep moving in the direction that, uh, that you're going unless he shows something else. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you eyes are on you so this week when you're facing a situation you don't know what to do god i don't know what to do but i'm trusting my eyes are on you came across this quote when we call out to god turn to god trust god that honors god because what we're doing is we're saying god you're there, and we trust you, and we believe in you, and we want to honor you by do, by stepping out in the directions that you're leading us, by doing the things that you've called us to do, and we want to do that in such a way that you are honored by doing when we do those things. So when we you know when we realize that <clears throat> all is lost and just there's nothing <laughs> nothing we can do to save the situation, it's just a mess. Many times that's a great place to be because we can say, okay, God, I made a mess of it, but you can work. And you know, when we are willing to say, God, I I want to trust you, help me to trust you, and I, I'll do what you want me to do. At that point, we really need to understand that what what's happening at that point is maybe we're getting out of the way so that God can work. Sometimes we're gun-hoing out there doing, and that's okay, but sometimes it's God saying, okay, Mark, Slow down. Stop. Now, I want you to follow me. Let's go. Like David, we've all had to go into situations where we must have been praying. I can imagine David was praying all the way down to the brook. 
You know, he sees this big guy and he does believe God's going to do it, but by, you know, he still only has a sling and a stone to go up against this guy. And yet David also knows it's not a sling and a stone, it's a sling and a stone in God. And that's all the difference. And so no matter what we're facing, Jehoshaphat had a whole nations, three nations coming at him and they prayed. No matter what we face, it's the same answer. Look to God, trust in the Lord. I, our eyes are on you. That should be our our, our go-to place all of the time. David helped Israel to see God is at work and helped the army to see God's power. He helped them to see past the giant and the Philistines, past their fear to the power of God. This is what God can do. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So how do we see what we're going through right now? Do you see yourself in the midst of the problem? Do you see yourself overwhelmed by a problem? What about the circumstances that are going on? And again, again, we face all these things. And and the question becomes, will we stop and say, okay, yeah, all of these things are going on. All of these things feel terrible. All of these things could really do a number on us. But the battle is the Lord's. Like Jehoshaphat said, our eyes are on you. You know, when COVID hit, it was one of those things that we none of us knew it was coming. You know, we kind of, you know, for us, it was, I remember being here one week and we met with a few people and the next week there was nobody but the sound team and some others. And then just all kinds of things happened and people were struggling and hurting and I'm not even sure we know yet the magnitude of what people have been through and, and, and suffered as a result. And yet, the answer is still the same. Our, our answer has to be our eyes are on you, Lord, because the battle is yours. It's not ours. And by the way, I'm not saying that we need to be fearless, because I don't know that, that that's, a, that's an honest thing. Uh, and when I've talked to people who've done some incredibly brave things or read about them, there are people who knew it was dangerous, knew it was difficult, knew they might not even make it out, and yet because they knew it had to be done, they went and did it. So it's not a fearlessness, and, and this is a quote that I came across. The trust is not being fearless. It's a confidence in God who is worthy of trust. And that's the reality that we can live in now. We have a bonus takeaway today. I normally only give you one. Here's the second one. I promise it'll be quick. David recognized that God's honor was at stake. That's that first quote. Thanks. Um, Goliath had insulted the God of his chosen and his chosen people, and the battle was set to correct to set the record straight. So on one level, it's like David is saying, "Okay, you've been messing with the wrong God and the wrong people, and now God's going to show you." And I love what David says. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and will strike you down. And then he goes on to say, The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know this is not by sword, not by spear, that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He didn't need David or the stone even. But that's the method God chose to use. David knew, and this is another, another that. And that changed how he viewed the world. David understood that verse. He knew it. He knew what God was all about. He knew what God could do. 
And that's changed how he viewed everything else. His relationship with God changed how he saw everything. David started with the truth of God's promises and God's law and moved on from there. He trusted God to fulfill and keep those promises. Our walk with God, our relationship with Jesus has to has to be based on his word, not the things that we see going on around us. As each problem or difficulty comes in this week or the next, we need to evaluate and see what's going on with our walk with Christ. We need to think through the struggles in light of the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Well, what is the hardest thing to face this week? Think about that. What's the hardest thing to face? Well, the answer is always going to be the battle is the Lord's. Stop and think about that. Maybe it's a health issue, and you're struggling with a, with a number of things, and you just don't even know how to work through everything that's going on for you physically. Remember, the battle is the Lord's. Maybe it's anxiety or fear, and it could be from all kinds of sources. It could be from work. It could be from family. All kinds of things can cause us anxiety or fear. The answer is still the same. The battle is the Lord's. Maybe it's loneliness, and you just don't want to go back to that empty house, or you don't want to go work in that place where nobody even knows your name, or you don't want to... It can be all kinds of things. Loneliness can be so powerful, and yet the reality of that is the Lord, the battle is the Lord's, the same there. Maybe you're thinking about the future, and you have no clue what to do, and... COVID has made a mess of all of your plans and all of the things that you wanted to do or thought you needed to do. Well, the battle is the Lord's. Maybe it's finances and how do I stay afloat during all of this mess that we're facing? Remember, the answer is still the same. The battle is the Lord's. And David helps us to see the world based on our relationship with the living God. He helps us to see the world and all the hard things that we face through the eyes of faith. He shows us over and over and over that the battle is the Lord's. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, no matter what struggles we are having right now in this current world and in our in our country lord you you know and you understand and none of it's caught you by surprise and so lord help us to put our eyes on you look to you and to remember that the battle is yours help us to do the things we're supposed to do but help us to trust you as you are always there working in and through us. Help us to learn these truths. Help us to enjoy these truths because they come as wonderful promises from your word. We thank you. We praise you in your name.